Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Podcast. I am Casey Thomas and this week I want to answer one of your guys' questions, which was, how does fasting impact the brain? And more specifically, does fasting improve cognitive performance? Now, before I get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you can, please be sure to leave me a rating and review. I want to know what you're thinking about all these episodes. And if you can, also please do subscribe because I have so much more in store for you and I want you to be the first to know when that stuff goes live. Now, getting back into the question, if you haven't already, please go back and listen to week four. I talk about when to eat there. And just to quickly summarize that, you should look to eat when the sun is out. Humans are naturally diurnal creatures, which basically means that our natural physiology is primed to do stuff when the sun is out. It's primed to not do stuff when it's dark. That's our rest, relax, restore, sleep, all that kind of stuff. And the more time you spend forcing your body to do demanding stuff at night, when it doesn't want to, this is going to be running contrary to your natural physiology. This is going to lead to short-term impairments, and this is going to lead to long-term complications. So the punchline is eat when the sun is out. Now, people are curious specifically about fasting, though, and this topic itself is so wide. And the big reason for that is because Fasting doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. You need to define what you're talking about. So there's things like religious fasts, right? There's Ramadan. No food or drink from sunup till sundown for the entire month. There's Lent, all right? From Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, it mimics Ramadan a little bit, where some some people will do no food from sunup to sundown, and then they'll break it with the traditional meal after that sundown. Some people are only going to do fasting protocols on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Uh, sometimes it's sometimes it's abstinence from particular items. Historically in the Lent, it's abstinence from wine, from meat, and from all things coming from flesh, such as milk, cheese, eggs, butter, that kind of stuff. In the scientific literature, we like to talk about things like just pure extended fasts, where there's no food for X amount of days. There's also things like alternate day fasting protocols where there's no food every other day. There's also now something called a 5-2 protocol, which is two days of fasting in a week. There's fast from specific foods. Some people say they're abstaining from, you know, candy. It's a candy fast. There's fasted cardio. There's overnight fast. There's fast for your blood draws. So this word gets thrown around a lot is what I'm trying to get at here with that long rant about different kinds of fasting. And the most common one that I'm getting asked about though these days, which is what I really want to focus on, is intermittent fasting. This is the most popular iteration of fasting in common culture today. And the the sucky thing <laughs> is that intermittent fasting doesn't have a strict definition, all right? In the literature, what most people call intermittent fasting is called, to scientists, time-restricted feeding, which simply means you eat during a fixed window in the day, then you fast for the remainder of the day. So for example, 
an eight-hour feeding window would have a 16-hour daily fast. So we would say this is a time-restricted feeding protocol. They are feeding only during this eight-hour window. Most people have taken this, this time-restricted feeding protocol, renamed it to intermittent fasting, put some specific numbers on it. The most common version that I see is a feeding window of eight hours, and it's usually noon to 8 p.m., something like that. Now, this question usually comes from people asking if intermittent fasting helps cognitive performance. I have had some people who have asked me about their particular religious fasts and whether or not that helps with cognitive performance. And that's a whole other topic, and I don't want to get into that today unless you want me to. But what I really want to zero in on is, does intermittent fasting improve cognitive performance? So the first thing that you'll notice is if you just Google this question, they're going to say, yes, it does. <laughs> but you have to dig deeper than that, okay? Because a lot of times Google is not giving you a science evidence-based answer. It's just giving you the top most popular search result. And a lot of people are simply looking to validate what they think to be true. So the proponents of intermittent fasting, which has become very popular, are claiming that it does boost cognitive performance. And one of their claims, which is, in my opinion, probably the more strong claim, is that intermittent fasting raises a compound in your brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF. And BDNF is awesome, okay? BDNF does so many things. It suppresses your feeding cues. It improves your glucose metabolism. It stimulates neuronal production. It helps with learning and memory. It helps you deal with stress. It also helps improve synaptic plasticity, which basically just means that your brain can learn and adapt and be flexible. Basically, BDNF is awesome, okay? But the claim that intermittent fasting raises BDNF is tenuous at best. So first thing, there is zero human data for this. This observation is coming entirely from animals. And whether or not animal data translates to humans is a sketchy observation. Yes, we learn a lot from animals, but to say it perfectly matches is not true. So that's the first little issue I have with this claim. The second issue I have is that the animal models where it does boost BDNF they're not actually utilizing a time-restricted feeding protocol or an intermittent fasting protocol. What they are using is an alternate day fasting protocol. In that protocol, they have the rodents eat normally for 24 hours and then zero food for 24 hours. Eat normally for 24 hours, zero food for 24 hours. So you're just alternating the day in which you're fasting. And this is not the protocol that most people are utilizing. <laughs> okay. So they've, they've tried this protocol in humans and it falls flat more often than not, just because people say that it's incredibly difficult for them to go a full day without eating. So adherence is just terrible on an alternate day fasting protocol. So that's the second problem is that even the rodent data is not using an intermittent fasting protocol. Now, the third issue I have with it is that the claim that even these extended fasts raise BDNF is somewhat equivocal, okay? There are some studies that show that there is no effect on BDNF. So between all that, it's a little bit iffy. Now, the next claim that intermittent fasting proponents will use is that it's based on our fuel stores. 
okay? And because our fuel stores are depleted, we're forced to utilize a backup fuel. And this backup fuel has many different properties, supposedly. So let's take a look at this, this claim. It takes at least 84 hours for your muscles to sense that they are starting to get lower in their fuel source. Okay, 84 hours. Now, on the other hand, your liver is about 60 to 80% depleted overnight. So then the question becomes, okay, at 16 hours of fasting, we have this low liver glycogen. Does this low liver glycogen cause improvements in brain performance? And it sounds funny when you ask it that way. And to me, it seems like a little bit of a stretch on the surface. But we can answer this question by just looking at the data. <laughs> and most of that data comes from children. There's been a lot of research into seeing whether or not breakfast skipping changes how a child will do on academic performance. Please go back and listen to my breakfast podcast if you haven't already. I go into way more detail. <laughs> but basically, if you believe that low liver glycogen enhances brain performance, then you would believe that these students who skipped breakfast would do better. Now, unfortunately, students who skipped breakfast did worse than their breakfast eating peers. However, that data that this is coming from doesn't differentiate between habitual eaters versus habitual breakfast skippers. To just summarize this a little bit, if you are someone who regularly eats breakfast, you should keep doing it, okay, especially on important brain days. You know, I hear on these important days, people tend to skip their breakfast because they might get anxious or nervous for whatever it is that they have to do, but you really need to maintain that breakfast eating habit on those days or else you're going to run into problems. On the other hand, if you regularly skip breakfast, you're going to be able to get along just fine, okay? There is no decrease seen from continuing to skip breakfast. But the really interesting thing is that you can get a free boost in cognitive performance for at least two hours if you decide to add in breakfast on a day where it might be really important. The problem is if you add in this breakfast, there is a post-meal dip at about the two-hour marker, okay? So you just need to be ready at that time to catch yourself. So that could be, you know, some caffeine or some extra food, something like that. Outside of this children observational data, we also have some rodent data. And the ones that are most similar to an intermittent fasting type protocol, all they show is a lack of impairment in cognitive performance. They don't show an enhancement in cognitive performance. The only time that you see an enhancement in cognitive performance in rodents is when you have a longer duration fast, something like an alternate day fasting protocol. And those protocols have actually been able to show an enhancement in spatial memory in mice. Now, does mice data translate to humans? That's debatable. And we'll talk about that in just a second, actually. <laughs> so the only real study that I could find, though, in healthy humans, and the keyword here is healthy, like you and me, <laughs> that examine the effects of fasting on cognitive performance. What they did was a 48-hour fast, okay? So 48 hours, zero calories, 
and they used amateur weightlifters, young males, healthy guys. Previous data has suggested that 48 hours of no food is a stressor for the body and the brain. It will decrease your blood glucose. And remember, blood glucose is the brain's primary fuel source. And it will also impair the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is the spot where all of your higher order cognitive and executive functions happen. So based off of that, you would expect an impairment in overall cognitive performance after a 48-hour fast. And so that's what they wanted to test. They wanted to test your cognitive performance both before and after a 48-hour fast. And what they found was that there were no changes in working memory, in visuospatial discrimination, or in spatial orientation. And this conflicts with some of the rodent data that I just mentioned, where fasting caused an improvement in spatial memory. So in actual humans, it seems to not have the same effect, which again is why it's risky to pull all of your data from rodents, because it doesn't always translate over to humans. But the interesting thing is that this 48-hour fast did lead to an improvement in mental flexibility. And so here's the test that they specifically use, just so you can get a sense of what I'm talking about here. There were two sides to the screen. There was a task on the left side and a task on the right side. And there was a big arrow pointing you to do either the task on the left or the task on the right. And the two tasks are very different. Okay, so the task on the left, what this one is, is they have a man and he is holding either a cube or a ball. And then there's also a cube or a ball on the bottom. And this is displayed randomly. You have to input if he's holding the ball or the cube, whatever is shown on the bottom of the screen, in his left or right hand. Okay? So if there's a cube at the bottom, you have to say the cube is in his left hand. If there's a ball at the bottom, you have to say the ball is in his right hand. And it, it's going to change every time this test runs. It, 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 it's going to randomize, you know, whether it's a cube or a ball and which hand it's in. Now, the catch is that the man is in all different kinds of orientations. He could be sideways, he could be upside down, he could be facing you, he could be facing away, and so on. So it requires you to just have a good understanding of orientation spatial, spatially. Now on the, the right side of the screen is a math problem. <laughs> it's a very basic arithmetic question. It had three single digit numbers that are added or subtracted. So for example, it could be five minus two plus three. You don't even have to give the total of what what that is all you have to do is indicate whether or not this end result number is greater or less than five so in that instance five minus two plus three you would say that that result is greater than five and so again it, this is a mental flexibility task because you're randomly being told to either do this orientation task or you're being told to do this math task. And the fasting improved your ability to be mentally flexible, which is kind of neat. It also improved your two-choice reaction time. And so two-choice reaction time simply means you're given a, a choice between two items. There's either a star or a circle. If it's a star, you have to press the left button as quickly as possible. And if it's the circle, you have to press the right button as fast as possible. 
So it's a reaction time. It's a two-choice reaction time. And fasting was shown to enhance this variable as well, which is kind of cool. So where does that leave us? As far as I'm concerned, there is no data that intermittent fasting, as people typically define it these days, helps boost cognitive performance directly. Might be able to boost it indirectly via a weight loss mechanism, but really none of the literature supports that intermittent fasting will acutely, acutely enhance cognitive performance. And it seems like the only way to get a benefit of fasting on cognitive performance is to do a fasting period much longer than 16 hours in a day. So in the rodents, it was an every other day fasting mechanism. And in humans, it was at least 48 hours of no food. You know, if you think about it evolutionarily, it actually makes sense. Your body is incredibly resilient, and it's not going to really think it's fasting over such a short duration as 16 hours. Ancient humans didn't have markets on every corner. It was a real struggle to eat and to know when your next meal was coming, especially during winter times. And if your body had these huge fluctuations and changes over just 16 hours of no food, it really wouldn't be very sustainable. On the other hand, if when you're starving, your body just gives up and dies, that's bad for your livelihood and for evolution of the human race, right? So those individuals who were starving but had good stress resilience were able to survive and thrive. And so it makes sense to me that longer fasts can cause improvements. If you're in a starvation situation, you need your brain to get you, you out of that, right? You need to be sharp. You need to figure out a way to get that next food. So it makes sense to me that a longer fast might kick in some mechanism where it's forcing your brain to be a little bit more on point. So on a personal note, I do regularly engage in periods of fasting, but those are for health reasons. And I can talk about that another time if people are curious. But my thoughts are that these extended fasts are a bit too excessive and impractical to utilize as a strategy for regular, you know, ongoing cognitive improvement. My thoughts are it might be able to be used to acutely enhance performance at some key mental event, right? You, you can't just continually ongoing be eating nothing because then you will starve and die. <laughs> so you have to actually plan it out where let's say there's a tournament or a big meeting or a conference or what have you, you know, maybe I haven't tested this and there's no data on this, but maybe if you fasted for a couple of days before that, your brain performance would be improved. I don't know. This hasn't been studied. I think that's a good question to look at. But on the flip side to that is it might not actually do anything. The adrenaline from such a big event itself might be enough to just peak your mental performance as is, in which case fasting for that long would have just been a big waste of effort. <laughs> so either way, more research needs to be done here for sure to see if there is a mechanism through which we can practically implement some kind of fasting protocol. But right now, intermittent fasting, which is practical, doesn't actually cause any cognitive performance improvements as far as I can tell. The only way you're going to get them is by going hard and doing it for much longer, which 
invalidates its use as a you know performance enhancing strategy. Okay, so talked enough about fasting. Thank you so much for listening. I know you have a lot of other stuff that you could be doing. I hope you thought this episode was useful. If you can, please be sure to leave me a rating and review so that way I know what you're thinking. Or if you want to, you can just shoot me an email. Uh, my email is caseythomasrd at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys, even if it's just to say hello. And if you can, please also subscribe because it really does help me out a whole lot. It also lets you be the first to know when I have new stuff coming out. So with that, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.